Good afternoon. So good to see so many of you today. If you have a Bible, please get ready to turn it to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. We're continuing our study through 1 Peter in our 10-week series titled Hope in a Hostile World. And in 1 Peter, uh, the author of this letter, Apostle Peter, is writing to exhort Christians scattered all across northern Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, to persevere in faith despite the difficult circumstances and an onslaught of persecution that was challenging them in their day. And these words, which are Holy Spirit-inspired, sufficient and relevant for believers throughout all generations, encourages us and reminds us today in the same way that we are elect exiles, chosen pilgrims on a path to God's eternal kingdom, presently guarded by God's power through faith for a great salvation which will be revealed on the day of Christ's return. Peter reminds us that we are holy children of our Heavenly Father as He lovingly and patiently guides us and disciplines us and sanctifies us for that final day. And Peter reminds us that we are a chosen people, a people of God's own possession to proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness into marvelous light. And for that purpose, Peter urges elect exiles who are not at home in this world but at home with Christ, in following in His footsteps, in being like Him, in knowing who He is, which defines who we are, Peter says, we are to be submissive for the Lord's sake to every human institution, to every human authority the Lord Himself has put in power over us, even unjust rulers. And how could we do that? Why should we do that? Subject ourselves to all human authorities, even unjust ones. Why? We learned a few weeks ago, for God's glory, for it is the will of God, for it is a gracious thing, and for we are to be like Christ. In other words, in submitting ourselves in God-honoring ways to the human authorities the Lord has placed over us, we who are pilgrims of this world, we who know and believe that our God is the supreme sovereign ruler of all, actually, in submission, we get to grow in our faith and trust in Him. And our longing and our hope for our true home intensifies because we know that this world is, in fact, indeed, not our home. Peter is reminding Christians persecution, oppression, and suffering have an expiration date because in Christ's resurrection, we have been born again into a living hope. And so we are one who recognize afflictions have a purpose in this life, ultimately, for our good. Peter says in 1 Peter 1.6, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, and it will be tested by fire, it may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus the Christ. Christ is our hope. Amen? Christ is our home. Amen? And so today in our passage, in 1 Peter 3, verses 1 through 7, Peter really hits home, literally, in teaching Christians how our trust in our Savior ought to define our relationships with our spouses, between husbands and wives in the context of marriage. Now, I realized that about 53% of our congregation members are not married, but before you tune me out, tune out this sermon as irrelevant to you, I want to contend that this word is just as relevant to you as any married man or woman here. Because 
This passage ultimately teaches us about Christ. It teaches us about who God is through the most intimate of human relationships. You see, God is the divine author and creator of marriage. In Ephesians 5, verse 32, it says, This mystery is profound. This mystery is mind-blowing. Referring to the one flesh union of a husband and a wife because it refers to what? None other than Christ and the church. So, brothers and sisters, this passage has everything to do with you if you are a Christian, whether you are married or unmarried, because it prepares us for Christ. May Apostle Peter's divinely inspired words be an encouragement to all of us who hope in him today. Amen? So from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1-7, through 7, I want to share with you three reasons why, as elect exiles, we Christians are good spouses. And I'm going to be just honest with you. I wanted to keep it short today because we have a very important members meeting following. So I think I'm only going to get to the first two points. Here's the outline so you know where we're going. Point number one, the witness of godly submission, verses 1 and 2. The witness of godly submission. Number two, the preciousness of fearless faith, verses 3 through 6. And point number three, for part two, the power of marital unity. The power of marital unity, verse 7. I pray for all our brothers and sisters in Christ that this word will remind us afresh the reason why, as Christians, we ought to pray for our marriages, value, prize our marriages, and protect biblical marriage. And for our married members specifically to persevere, to persevere in marriage at all costs. And for our single members, may this word remind you again to prepare well for marriage. We all, whether married or single, as Christians, ought to hope in marriage. Because whether on this side of heaven we experience the brokenness of imperfect marriages or longingly await for a happy marriage, we know and trust that what we experience here in this life is a preparation for the ultimate marriage, the wedding supper of the Lamb, as according to Revelation chapter 19, verses 7 through 10. And for those who are not Christians here today, we thank you so much for coming. We're so glad that you have joined us this afternoon. I pray that the word that you hear this afternoon will open your eyes and your heart to understand why Christians are so adamant about protecting biblical marriage as between one man and one woman, because it points us to the precious love and unity and reality of the relationship between Christ and His church. And I pray that you would also desire that relationship and that intimacy that is available to us in Christ alone that is available to you today if you would repent and trust in him as Lord and Savior. So without further ado, let's read our passage. Our passage will be found on page 1015 of the Blue Bibles around you. I encourage you to keep your Bibles open throughout the entire duration of the passage and follow along so you won't get bored. If you are new to the Bible, the large numbers are the chapter numbers, the small numbers are the verse numbers. So 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. And by the way, if you do not have a Bible to read at home, please take one of those blue Bibles with you as a gift from us to help you grow in studying God's words. So 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 through 7 says this. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is in God's sight is very precious. 
For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. The first reason why Christians are good spouses, point number one, because of the witness of godly submission. Witness of godly submission. Look with me to verses one and two. Again, it says this. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see a respectful and pure conduct. The word likewise translated in other translations of Scripture in the same way is referring to the verses above, specifically 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 25, where Peter instructs Christians to be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, to every human authority. Since we are a people who have been called to righteous suffering because Christ is our example, according to 1 Peter 2, 21, and we see particularly from verses 21 through 25 that the gospel of Jesus Christ, His death on the cross, Him bearing our sins in His body as a substitute for us that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, this very gospel is our very motivation why we willingly submit to every human institution. So Peter addresses submission within the context of marriage. Peter says, likewise, in the same way, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Well, now already, if you're being honest without even getting into the passage, our negative experiences and our natural disposition toward disdaining anything related to submission rebuffs and low-key rejects the idea of subjection within marriage, doesn't it? We have all these preconceived notions of all the ways this is harmful and dangerous and backward and for some realistically absurd according to societal norms and cultural trends of our day. And for some of you, rightfully so. You've experienced terrible emotional, physical injury through evil and ungodly husbands or have observed through your own fathers terrible abuses of authority toward your mothers. And for that, on behalf of what authority I have as a Christian pastor, I am genuinely so very sorry. Thank you for your perseverance in the faith. So very sorry that the person who promised to love and protect and keep you or her through sickness and health took advantage of his own wife and mistreated her. We ought to clearly and outrightly denounce spousal abuse of any kind. Let that be clear. And perhaps if you are currently experiencing any kind of physical or verbal abuse, please, I want to encourage you, please, I plead with you, talk to one of the elders, myself or Pastor Jeremy, or someone you could trust in this local church body to get you the help you need in your difficult situation. Now with that said, we ought to be reminded, whereas slavery or more accurately servitude addressed in verses 18 through 20 of chapter 2 in the first century in Peter's context was very different from the evil practice and institution of the transatlantic slave trade between the 16th and the 19th century. Nevertheless, it is the result of the fallen human condition. Slavery was was an evil institution. On the contrary, though, we ought to know marriage that Peter addresses in our text today is a divine institution. Marriage is God's idea. God created marriage as good and good for us. So when Peter instructs submission within the divine institution of marriage... 
We ought to understand and trust that what God intends is indeed good. In other words, bad models and progressive thought in our society regarding gender and sex and marriage ought not to undermine or doubt what God instructs us clearly in the Bible. Scripture consistently and clearly maintains this idea of submission in marriage. Since the fall, when sin entered the world, we see how the natural order of the marriage institution was subverted. Genesis 3.16 says, Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Originally, according to creation order, the man was to lovingly rule and care and protect his wife and his family, but sin enters and causes the wife's desire to be contrary to or oppose her husband's headship. But Scripture repeatedly teaches 1 Corinthians 11.3, which says this, But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of every wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Ephesians 5, verses 22 through 24 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Colossians 3, 18, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. And Titus 2, verses 4 through 5, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Scripture, again, insistently teaches there is such a thing as good authority and godly submission, doesn't it? As we read the Bible through the lens of our experiences in the 21st century, we ought to remember that God's timeless truths in its entirety, we can't just select the parts we like, are to be heeded. God's entire timeless truths are to be heeded and obeyed for our good and for God's glory. Amen? So in an age where so many of us are so easily offended, you can look up articles. It's kind of funny if you look up, why are we so easily offended? There's so many articles addressing this very fact. Before you get offended by the notion of why wives ought to submit to their husbands, and perhaps you are waiting for me to offer a bunch of caveats or exceptions on when wives should not submit to their husbands, consider with me, first, above all else, why the Bible would go to such lengths to exhort wives toward humble submission. Now, speaking of caveats, I do want to offer the clear and perhaps the only apparent one in the text. The verse plainly states... Wives, submit to your own husbands. Wives, the only male authority you ought to submit to in such a way described in Scripture is only to your husbands. Scripture doesn't say all women submit to all men. That's not true. That's not biblical. It doesn't say wives submit to all husbands. It says wives submit to your own husbands. Let that be made clear. And let me also specify how this command is very, very specific. It's very important that you get it right. Nowhere else in Scripture does it say, Husbands ought to submit to your wives, just as it never says, Masters ought to submit to your slaves. Why? Because Scripture intends to teach us something very important. Again, let me just say the punchline already, because it points us to Christ. It teaches us about Christ and the church. Furthermore, from the context, one can imply that the nature of this submission is one that is voluntary. There's no begrudging submission on the part of the wife, is there? There is no forced submission from the husband. Verses 1 and 6 are biblical commands for the Christian wife. 
Although in Peter's cultural context, it was common for males of the Greco-Roman society to treat their wives or women in general as people of lesser value than males, there is no instruction from Scripture to overthrow that culturally accepted norm for wives to stand up in opposition to submission. No. Peter says, wives, submit to your husbands. But the thing is, what is entirely different, so different than what the culture was teaching and what Peter was teaching is the motives of why, why Christian wives are to submit to their husbands. Well, why should Christian wives be submissive to their own husbands? Simply, clearly, for the purpose of evangelism. For the purpose of evangelism. That's what you see in that second part of the verse, of verse 1, don't you? So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. Now, many commentators will say the instruction for Christian wives to be submissive to their husbands were mainly for non-believing husbands. But look carefully. Don't look at me. Look at this. Look at the Bible. The phrase, even if some do not obey the word, indicates non-believing husbands were the exception. By the way, this passage in no way is advocating marriages between Christians and non-Christians whatsoever. This passage is not some, in some sort of way to serve as a model or a precedent to win over unbelieving husbands. That's not the point at all. The Bible is clear, as it says in 1 Corinthians 6.14, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? So in the context of Paul's hearers, perhaps in the first century as Christianity was originating and establishing, there must have been married couples where one spouse came to faith before the other. And Peter was instructing wives in particular in this text to win their husbands over to the gospel purely by their submission, by their pure conduct. Did you see Peter's play on words there? Even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word. See, this is consistent with Peter's undergirding message all throughout the letter, isn't it? As Christians live such attractive, joyful, hopeful lives, even in the midst of persecution, they will see Christ in you and glorify God. That's 1 Peter 2.12, isn't it? It says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. How about 1 Peter 3, verses 15 through 16? But in your hearts honor Christ as the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. And 1 Peter 4.16, but if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him glorify God in that name, in the name of suffering, in the name of Christ. Let me persevere on. That's what Peter is saying. Furthermore, what Peter is not doing is undermining the necessity of the word in sharing the gospel so that people will be saved. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. And at the end of verse 25, Peter says, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. So what Peter is saying then for the wives to win over their disobedient husbands without a word simply is, Peter is teaching, wives, make sure your actions, your lives, your submission show, display, exemplify the gospel that you profess to believe. Peter was exhorting wives, instead of badgering your husbands about their need for conversion, 
He is saying, live out the gospel before your husbands. He's saying the primary influence on husbands will not be the wife's nagging speech, but their godly submission. Verse 2 clarifies what this looks like, doesn't it? When they see your respectful and pure conduct. In the original language, the word respectful is actually not an adjective, but a prepositional phrase, the phrase in fear, in reference to in fear of God. So verse 2 should be better translated or better read, when they see your pure conduct in the fear of God. And so as Dr. Tom Schreiner says in his commentary, what this kind of submission looks like is, wives do not submit in order to satisfy a husband's vanity or to promote his reputation. Neither do they submit to show how godly they are, nor to avoid conflict, nor to impress the neighbors, nor to manipulate their husbands, and not even because she thinks he is so great and wise. She submits because of her relationship and trust in God. Another commentator says the silent eloquence of a wife's pure and reverent behavior can preach daily the transforming power of Jesus Christ. Isn't that beautiful? Wives, in order to pursue the ultimate happy marriage, submit yourselves to your husbands as you submit to Christ, trusting Him as you trust in Christ, honoring Him as you honor Christ. Look into Christ as you see your husband's flaws, hoping in Christ as you pray for the man your husband could become only by the work and grace of God. Amen? So dear wives of NCBC, how are you doing submitting to your husbands as you submit to Christ? How might you consider letting your pure conduct and fear of God and not the fear of man testify of your trust and hope in God? Louder than nagging, Louder than badgering, louder than worrying, louder than why aren't you leading this family right? Louder than harboring bitterness of the man your husband is currently not. Trust in Christ to sanctify you and your husband through his good institution of marriage. Amen? Through the good and hard times. Fear him. Fear God. Submit to his ways. Hope all and in all in the gospel. That is the power unto salvation for you and to him you love. To the single sisters, how can you prayerfully grow more dependent, more secure, more confident in your love and hope and contentment and joy in the only true and better husband, Christ Jesus, than any earthly man will ever, 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 ever compare? Prepare yourself for Christ, our perfect bridegroom who loves you unconditionally, who provides for you all that you need, who is your very present help in time of need, who knows and sees and is with you in your loneliness and in your lack and in your need. I read in an article titled, Hope for the Unhappily Single Undesiring God. If it encourages you, you should check it out. Let me read you an excerpt. It says this. The good news for the not yet married is that no one in Christ is single and no one is married in heaven. Jesus makes it abundantly clear that no one stays married or gets married in the age to come. We need to anchor our feelings of loneliness and longing in the gospel. If we are in Christ, there's nothing really single about us. We all know there are intimacies that are and should be unique to marriage, but those that matter most can really be experienced in the context of the bride of Christ, his church. A husband or wife may help and provide for you in ways others can't, but a true spirit-filled, persistent, present brother or sister in the faith can care for you in remarkable ways. In Jesus, none are single, no, not one. 
The marriage, as we know, in this life have no purpose in the coming paradise. In the happiest place in history, there will be no weddings, no matrimony, no sex. That is a wild way for God to design this all to work out. If marriage between a man and a woman is such a beautiful, pivotal, necessary relationship and a picture for so many in this life, why would it be left out in eternity? It is because its purpose and meaning are only needed here and now. When the new creation is consummated, the picture to which marriage pointed will be realized. In light of this destination, marriage now is a temporary experience meant to envision a far greater relationship and reality to come when we are with Christ in His presence. Ultimately, we will all be single forever, and it will be gloriously good. We'll all be finally married with Him forever, joined together with the Savior and our first love And we will know then that the marriages here on earth truly were small and short compared with all we have in Christ in eternity. So single sisters and also brothers, even those who are struggling in marriage today, my encouragement for you, simple, cling to Christ, hope in Christ, wait for Christ, live for Christ. He is coming back for His bride. Amen? Second reason why Christians are good spouses, point number two, the preciousness of fearless faith. The preciousness of fearless faith from verses three through six. Look at those verses with me. It says this. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Again, I was trying to end my sermon by 3.45. I have two minutes to go, so I'm just going to try to touch the main point as fast as possible. Basically, Peter is not saying to wives, don't be concerned about external beauty at all. That's not what Peter is saying. Uh, He's saying, don't let your adorning merely be external. It is not a prohibition on beauty. He is emphasizing the vastly superior value of inward beauty and the danger of extravagant and sensual fashions and dress that ancient cultures propagated for women. And still to this day, several thousand years later, nothing has changed in regards to this view. Just turn on TV, turn on social media, and no one has to describe what culture communicates and what the world thinks is beauty. David Helm says in his commentary, the pressures placed on Christian women by today's culture are nothing short of oppressive. You want to talk about oppression? The world, the culture is oppressive. Not the Word, not the Bible. But God, through Peter, corrects that notion. That true beauty is actually the adorning of the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. In other words, adorning that will last is a gentle and quiet spirit of a wife who trusts in God. Gentle and quiet as opposed to harsh and loud, worried and anxious, frazzled and disheveled. It is a wife who calmly and daily adorns herself with the living and abiding word of God. Peter is exhorting wives, adorn the internal, not merely the external. Adorn the soul, not simply the skin. And verse 4 says, this is very precious in God's sight. 
Very precious means a rare commodity. It's very valuable. A wife who adorns herself with gentleness and quietness is something to be commended and cherished and prized and lifted up for all to see. Now, many in our day may falsely attribute such qualities, gentleness, quietness, as feminine only. But remember, Jesus himself was known in scriptures by such characteristics. Jesus himself described himself in Matthew eleven twenty nine 29 in such a way, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Not only that, the idea is laced throughout 1 Peter everywhere. Check out 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, verse 7, 8 through 9, 21. 1 Peter 2, verses 6 through 7, 23. Is anybody writing this down? 1 Peter 3, 12, and 1 Peter 5. I'll put it in the newsletter. Those who wait and hope in the Lord will be kept and found in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, let it be made clear, meekness and gentleness is not weakness according to Scripture. It is strength. It is self-control. It is evidence of spiritual fruit. It is the evidence and proof of God working in you gentleness and quietness and meekness. In verse 5 through 6, quickly, Peter gives us a ultimate biblical example. It says how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And I believe in my humble opinion, these verses are the highlight or the, or the punchline of this passage. See, Sarah is held up as one who lived out God's principle of submission by calling Abraham Lord. That was a passage that our sister Faith read for us earlier in the service. And David Helm, in his commentary, notes such profound insight regarding these verses. I'm just going to read this entire section to you if it's okay. Okay, it says this. The precise time when Sarah called Abraham Lord was at that time of her laughter. Interestingly, Sarah's laughter betrayed her sense of disbelief, her nervous, verbal wonderment at the idea that God could fulfill his promise of a son. And God replied, in effect, is there anything impossible with God? The laughter of Sarah can be still heard behind the curtain of our tents today. The voices of many women who hear these words on submission, they're saying, you got to be kidding me, that's absurd. Will God keep his promises to me? Will he keep me safe in this relationship? And what Peter is saying with abundance of scriptural proof is saying, yes, God can be trusted. Women who give themselves to this pattern of life, though it is frightening, according to verse 6, will be those whom God meets in their hour of need. Those who entrust themselves to God will find that He will keep His word to them. And what was His promised word? That you have been born again to a living hope and you shall receive an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Peter is saying throughout this letter, entrust yourself to God and God will go with you. Close quote. So do you get it? Sarah was an example of a wife who even through her doubts, remember she laughed about God's promise? Even through her inept husbands, we see so many times in Genesis how Abraham failed to lead Sarah properly. Okay, I can give you examples. I'm going to do that next week. Yet she still submitted to him and trusted him and called him Lord, forsook everything to follow him as he trusted in God's promises. And hence, as we are all called Abraham's uh, children, so are wives who follow in Sarah's example. You are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. I love how in Proverbs 38, such a wife is held up. 
Proverbs 31.10 says, An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. Then in verse 25, it says, Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. Verse 28 through 30 says this, Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. We're going to actually conclude there, but I pray that you, see, you would see how this entire passage is laden with Christ, how submission points us to Christ. Wives, you can submit to earthly husbands who are sometimes disobedient to God as they are because you trust in a true and better husband, Jesus Christ, who loves you and is coming back for us, his bride, the church, God's chosen people. Single sisters and brothers, we can await with hope and joy and contentment in this life Because in Christ and his church, you know that you are not alone, that you are complete, that you have everything you need in him, and that you who have been born again to a living hope, we all together are waiting for the final marriage supper of the Lamb where we will spend an eternity with him. And husbands, our wives teach us so much of Christ, don't they? Their sacrifice, their strength to follow even as they trust in Christ reminds us how Christ himself suffered and persevered for the joy that was set before him, doesn't it? We can confidently say that biblical submission is good because it points us to our good God and the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen? The good news of Jesus Christ, the best news that you will ever hear, that God, who is the creator of all things, holy and righteous, created us in love for us to know his glory. But man, having been tempted by Satan, chose to be gods unto ourselves by distrusting God's word and rebelling against his commands. Hence, we were separated from God to a consequential and eventual death and punishment that we rightly deserve in eternal hell. But God, but God had a plan from the very beginning to send his one and only son to live the life that we could not live, to die the death that we should have died, to suffer the punishment that we would have suffered in eternal hell. Jesus Christ, who is truly God and truly man, became our substitute and died on the cross for our sins, fully satisfied the wrath of God himself to make atonement for our unrighteousness and exchanged his righteousness to us. And Jesus rose again from death on the third day, defeating Satan, sin, and death forever. He was the perfect and final sacrifice that was ever needed to save every single chosen son and daughter to know God's gracious, eternal, and redeeming love. And God invites us all of us who would hear his voice and call on his name to be saved. So friend, if you are here and you are not yet a Christian, the invitation is open for you. Repent of your sins today. Believe in Jesus Christ that he died and rose again for you this moment. Trust in him with your whole life this very day. If you want to know more about how you can follow Jesus, we would love to talk to you after service. I'll be standing at the close of service at the back door. Jacob, our service leader at this door, Jeremy, Pastor Jeremy at the outside door, we would love to talk to you about how you can follow Christ. There's nothing more that we would love to do than talk to you and share with you how Christ is so amazing and awesome. And brothers and sisters in Christ, in such a broken, fallen world where good authority and godly submission is rejected and mocked, how might Christian marriages, how might your marriage show that Christ still sits on the throne, that he is sovereignly in control, that we have a living hope in the midst of great affliction and persecution and suffering in this world. Wives, consider the witness of godly submission 
and wives treasure the preciousness of fearless faith. And Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, hope in Christ who submitted himself fully to the Father and persevered under all trials for our gain, for our hope, for our salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you humbled, thankful, broken, yet by your grace we have been born again to a living hope, to a reward that is imperishable, unfading, kept in heaven for us by the power of God. Father, keep us to the end, we pray. Help us await with hope, with diligence, with perseverance by your grace, clinging to your word every single day, knowing and loving your people, knowing that you will return, that you are present with us now. We thank you for this reminder of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.